Hello and welcome to Second Look, the show where we pause and take a second look at issues in politics, culture, all sorts of stuff. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm your host, Benjamin Green. If you want, while you're listening to the show, why don't you go ahead and tweet me with your thoughts while you're listening. My username is at BGreenAZ, or you can use the hashtag second look. Today's show is brought to you by the one and only Octopod and their mobile charging solutions for your phone or tablet. Head to octo-pod.com slash outset and use the coupon code outset when you check out because trust me, you should buy one. So today we're going to be talking about seven national security issues that don't involve the military. But first, I want to talk a little bit about a new initiative that we're doing here at Outset called Speak Out. Now, as you know, Outset is a network full of young people committed to individual liberty personal responsibility, and free markets. And quite often those things aren't necessarily welcome, those views, in the public eye. But here at Outset, we encourage people to speak out and share what they believe in. Before working with Outset and doing this podcast, I often felt uh, afraid to talk to people about politics, other than people who agreed with me. I had a hard time handling disagreement, but since starting Second Look about six months ago, I've really noticed a lot of change in the way I handle politics, and it's definitely for the better. Being able to speak out for what I believe in is great. Um... Now, I have a home here on Second Look that feels safe, and I'm able to share some of some opinions that might be controversial in conservative circles, such as the fact that I'm very anti-war, and lots of conservatives are not. But I still have to continue to step out of my comfort zone and speak out for what I believe in, and what I am proud to be able to say that I stand and speak out for is truth, love, and liberty. I think more than ever in our country, and just as people, we need to be hearing truth, we need to be showing love to one another, and we need to be enjoying the benefits of liberty. And I'm really excited for this Speak Out initiative. I I think it'll be great for us here at Outset, and I encourage you to share with Outset Magazine on Twitter, that's at Outset Magazine, what do you like to speak out about? What are you not afraid to stand up and support? I announced last week that Second Look is going to be having a new focus on issues rather than events. I might still talk about events some, but that's not going to be the primary focus anymore. And this week, I want to talk about national security. It's a term that's thrown around all over the place, but it's grossly misunderstood. 
People like Lindsey Graham and Chris Christie use it like a bludgeon. Whereas people like Rand Paul are criticized as not caring about it. In fact, Chris Christie went so far as to say that if there's a terrorist attack, Rand Paul is to blame for it. Well, that's just silly. Rand Paul doesn't want us to be insecure as a nation. Chris Christie isn't the only person who wants us to be secure. <laughs> it, it, it's just silly to have this um, name-calling and... I don't know what else to call it. Just name-calling and overall meanness as regards the issue of national security. And I'd counter by saying that people like Graham and Christie are short-sighted by thinking that national security is completely covered within diplomacy and the military. And with the two of them specifically, especially Lindsey Graham, he seems to think that national security is only handled by the military. Well, here for... You, and for Lindsey Graham, and for Chris Christie, and anyone else who may not have thought about these, are seven national security issues that don't involve the military. And I'm gonna go in reverse order. I've done list episodes before, but for whatever reason, I decided to go from seven to one today. These are not necessarily in any order, (laughs) but... Number seven is our power grid and our infrastructure. Our roads need to be good enough to allow fast military travel. That's what Eisenhower had in mind when he started the interstate system, was so that the military could get one side from one side of our huge country to the other side really fast if there were ever an attack. Well, that's all well and good, but... Highways as they are today are not consistent. This is one of the very few things that I actually think the federal government should have more control over is our interstate highways. I I think that there is a vested interest in having the federal government oversee the highways development and maintenance because if we have roads that are in disrepair um, then our military is going to have a hard time getting through them. And that just defies the entire purpose of where the interstate, what, what the interstate was supposed to be. So I really, I, roads, you know, national security. <laughs> the, uh, the other big one here is the power grid, which I don't know if you know this. I was really surprised to learn this. And I took a class about smart city technology, and our power grid electricity infrastructure is pretty much unchanged from the 1930s. That date alone should shock you, but just to put that in some perspective, Thomas Edison died in 1931. So there hasn't been any major change to the way we do electricity since Thomas Edison was alive. And that's pretty crazy. (laughs) And we're especially 
especially vulnerable. I just started to say especionable. So there's a new word. If you ever want to say especially vulnerable, you can just say especionable. In the Northeast, where we have kind of this whole mega city where it's pretty much all populated from Boston all the way to Washington, D.C., a few well-placed attacks could kill millions of people due to um, electricity going out. Then you lose healthcare, you lose food, you lose water. It's a nightmare, and it's dangerous. It really needs to be addressed, and it's a big threat. Number six is energy dependence. We have enough resources in the United States to power ourselves. We have new technology. There's more innovation happening here in the realm of alternative energy than there is anywhere else in the world, and this new technology will only get better and better and better. And as a bonus, it is better for the environment to have alternative energies than to rely on oil. But the big kicker here for national security is that if we became energy independent, we wouldn't be forced to bargain with nations such as Saudi Arabia. We would have no, little to no dependence on the Middle East. And as regards diplomacy in the Middle East, it really stinks to be dependent on these nations full of human rights violations and It really would make a difference if we didn't have to buy oil from these people. (laughs) So, energy dependence. Number five is our alliances. Now, our allies are often thought of as assets, but often they're liabilities. I'm thinking particularly of NATO, where we are required militarily we are required to militarily support any other NATO nation who gets attacked. That's a huge liability. Some of these nations are bordering hostile nations, and you could make the argument that we should be getting involved anyway. It's not an argument I would necessarily agree with, but we're legally bound by this treaty organization bound to get involved. It doesn't matter if we are getting attacked, if we are undergoing another Great Depression, we're bound to go help these countries no matter what. And that is a liability. As George Washington said in his farewell address, it is our true policy to steer clear of permanent alliances with any portion of the foreign world. Now, this statement is often misconstrued, as are the views of people who like to live by this statement. It is not, I repeat, not isolationist. Sorry if that was a little loud. In that very same address, Washington talks about having commercial, just not political, relations with other nations. And he also says that temporary alliances are wise in some situations, just not permanent ones. I, for one, am 100% with George Washington here. I think 
too often our allies end up not helping us, and we overstretch ourselves in the name of helping them. And it's something that, uh, I don't know exactly what the solution is, but it's definitely an issue that relates to our national security, because we end up devoting so much of our defense budget, our national security priorities, to helping our allies, that it just eventually becomes wasteful. Number four on my list is... Oh! You don't get to know yet. (laughs) Because I want you to go right now to octo-pod.com slash outset. Take a look at the Ion 3, the Ion Solar, the Ion 10, or maybe even just get yourself a Tertia cable, which, by the way, is just the coolest thing ever. So convenient to have one of those in my backpack all the time. And add it to your cart, and then when you go to checkout, use the coupon code OUTSET, and you should get 50% off for a limited time. So, booyah! Now you have yourself a charger or a Tertia cable, and now you're ready to hear number four on my list of seven national security issues that don't have to do with the military. And that, my friends, is government surveillance. Dun, dun, dun. I have talked at length on this show, and even longer in person, if you've talked to me in person, about why I don't like governments spying on their own citizens and collecting data and phone metadata and call records and location data and healthcare data. I don't like it when governments collect this information from their citizens. However, a class I am taking this semester is causing me to like it even less than I did before. That class is on cyber and digital crime. And we've talked about cybercrime, cyberterrorism, and I know a whole lot more about this stuff than I even did just a few weeks ago. Cybercrime is a huge and growing threat. Cybercriminal networks are becoming more sophisticated every day. In some countries, cybercrime is just another industry. You might see a cybercriminal network in an office building where they each go into work and work in their cubicle all day long and check out when it's time to go home. And it's just like any other office job. It's very sophisticated, high... Well, I mean, it's high-tech because it's cybercrime. But um, high-reward because so many companies and governments are collecting information on people. And cybercriminals can use this to steal your identity and wreak havoc on your personal life. And not only that, but governments are hacking each other too. Just take a look at the recent Office of Personnel Management attack. Um, the federal government seems to be pretty sure that it was China who who stole our data. So now every single federal government employee has their social security number and other data compromised. That is a huge liability. It's a huge vulnerability. Um, and if the Office of Personnel Management gets hacked, what's to stop 
other offices that hold your data from getting hacked. Personnel management holds data of people who have applied, and that's different. When you apply for the job with the government, you're voluntarily handing them your information. And guess what? Even that stuff you handed over voluntarily isn't protected the way it should be. It's far, far, far worse and far more dangerous as well when the federal government involuntarily takes our data and stores it. Now, I know that the NSA is likely more secure from cyber threats than the OPM was. That shouldn't be the case, but it likely is the case. I don't like it. Like, there's... It's a huge risk. It's a huge liability, vulnerability, and it only incentivizes other governments to hack us. If the government weren't holding the data to begin with, there'd be no reason to hack. But when you can hack the NSA or some other agency, say Health and Human Services, and have sensitive information about U.S. citizens, that's a really good incentive if you're doing cyber warfare or cybercrime. Issue number three is the Second Amendment. The number one disincentive to invading the United States is our armed populace. We have a lot of guns and a lot of gun owners. That does bring some problems, including endless political debates on whether or not we should have those guns. But let me tell you, it's immensely helpful to national security. As long as we don't overextend ourselves abroad, it's highly unlikely that the U.S. will fall militarily as long as many citizens own guns. Because, as I said, it's a huge disincentive to invade. Say, if... if uh, We'll just pick some random country. Bulgaria. <laughs> if Bulgaria somehow <laughs> massed up a huge army and somehow got it to the continental U.S., and was invading from the Gulf of Mexico, they'd be stopped. Because millions of Texans would have guns and be able to hold up back the soldiers without the military ever needing to get involved. And this is huge. And it's something not a lot of nations have. But if you look at nations like Switzerland, they've had this, and it spared them in World War II when nations around them suffered horribly. So, it's a huge advantage, regardless of your opinions on gun control, it's a huge advantage when it comes to national security, to have our people owning guns and being trained to use them. Now, I said these were in no particular order, but the two I saved for last, I think, are more important than the others, and I think they are in order. So, let me just do a quick recap before I get to the last two. Number seven, our power grid and infrastructure. 
need to be repaired, updated, and I guess just overall, we need to innovate in those areas. Number six, energy dependence is a great liability. Number five, alliances. Number four, government surveillance. And number three, the Second Amendment. Number two is states' rights. Dun, dun, dun. I did not used to be the giant proponent of states' rights that I am now, but it really is important. The more I learn about states' rights, the more passionate I am about it. And in the federalist system that's established by the Constitution, in many regards, the states are supposed to have more power than the federal government. In the Tenth Amendment, it specifically says that any power not listed as being a power of the federal government is a power of the states. And the states, historically, have just let themselves get run over by the federal government in its vast overreach. But this is hugely, hugely bad. Should the capital ever be overthrown, a country should be able to continue. That's one of the cool things about the United States, is we're supposed to be, anyway, free and independent states that that submit themselves voluntarily, I might add. I don't like permanent union, but moving on. Voluntarily submit themselves to the authority of a federal government. But, should that federal government ever fall, essential services are in the hands of the states. So, it doesn't... If Let's just say someone were to drop a nuclear bomb on Washington, D.C., as horrific as that would be, if they killed every single member of Congress and the judiciary and the executive branches, we should, in theory, be able to move past that tragedy, and you shouldn't feel the effects of it in your daily life if you live in Idaho. Your daily life should be regulated only by local government or the states at the highest, and the federal government is supposed to focus on bigger issues. Now, what does this have to do with national security? Well, D.C. is a coastal city, it's uh, a populated city, and we're concentrating more and more and more and more power in that one city. And this is always a bad thing. If you look historically at the Byzantine Empire, when Constantinople fell, they were done. Uh, And there are just... That's just the first example I came up with off the top of my head. There are countless others. When you concentrate your power in one place, that one place's power ends up making the rest of the nation more vulnerable. Because should that one place ever fail... Imagine if... Let's say not even militarily. If somehow a Hurricane Katrina status 
natural disaster were to ravage Washington, D.C. And um, how much of our government would just grind to a halt? Because D.C. is where all the power is. And that's not right. Our founders believed that the power shouldn't be given to any one man, but I think they also believed more broadly than that, that the power shouldn't be given to any one entity. And that's why... That's why we have our um, three branches of government. They're supposed to be ambitious, power-hungry branches. Congress should always be trying to get more power. I mean... Okay. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. They, they should be not power-hungry... They're supposed to be checks and balances to each other. So, they're supposed to be jealous of their own power, to protect their own power, not always trying to get more power. That's actually kind of the problem that I've been talking about for four minutes now, or however long. Anyway, that's why we have our three branches of government, to check each other and keep each other from getting too powerful. And that's also why we have now 50 state governments in order to keep the powers of government out of the hands of one person or one group of people. Because that, my friends, is tyranny. So the stronger DC gets, the more vulnerable the rest of the nation is, and so I firmly consider states' rights to be an important national security issue. Number one. This is by far, in my opinion, the most important our economy. Weak economies are vulnerable to attacks. It's a lot easier to conquer a poor country than it is to conquer a rich country. And the less free our economy gets, the poorer our people get. Poor people stay poorer. Rich people get poorer. (laughs) High taxation discourages business from growing here. Currency manipulation from the Federal Reserve devalues our currency and makes us poorer both within and without our borders. And most critically, our debt makes us indentured servants to the world. We can't be free, we can't be secure if we owe people money. You're not 100% secure if you have a mortgage on your property. You do technically own the property, but if you were to stop making payments on it, then the bank would come around and say, oh, not yours anymore, now it's mine. And the same goes for the country. We have this massive debt And so far, we've been able to sort of-ish keep making payments on it. It keeps growing, but at some point, the creditors are going to come by and say, Hey, look, pay up. It may not happen now. It may not happen for another hundred years. But when it does happen, it's going to be huge. (laughs) 
Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of seven national security issues that have nothing to do with the military. Although I just now realized that when I talked about roads, I talked about the military. So ignore that part. <laughs> Give me a follow on Twitter at BGreenAZ and also make sure to follow at Outset Magazine and the editor of Outset at Stephen with a PH underscore Perkins and take a listen to his podcast this week too. Speak out! Speak out for what you believe in. Join our Speak Out campaign. Tweet what you aren't afraid to speak up for with the hashtag SpeakOut. You can subscribe to this on iTunes or go to OutsetMagazine.com to listen. If you are listening to this in iTunes, it would mean a lot if you would rate it five stars. And with that, I bid you all a good week.